Hello, and welcome to the Teach, Inspire, Create podcast. I'm your host, Matt Mosley, Chief Examiner for Art and Design at UAL Awarding Body. Each episode, I speak to artists and creative industry leaders about teaching, inspiring and creating. In each episode, we learn about their experience of teaching and being taught, who or what inspires them, and we explore how they foster creativity in their work with the hope of showing you that there are infinite ways to be creative in the arts. Today's guest is Isabella Radvanska-Zang. Isabella is the editor-in-chief of the British Journal of Photography, a job that requires her to select and coordinate the photography projects and journalists for the magazine's features. She also has to curate the narrative for the issue's theme from project to project and page to page. In this episode, Isabella talks about what it is to be an editor and how she arrived in the role at the magazine. She talks in depth about how a photograph can come to be selected and included in a publication. And she shares with us inspirational characters and figures who have helped her on her journey to where she is today. There is a transcript available for this episode. Please click the link in the episode description so that you can read as you listen. I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome, Isabella. Thank you ever so much for joining us today on the Teach, Inspire, Create podcast. It's wonderful to have you. Thank you very much for having me. We'd like to start off just hearing a little bit about where you started on this journey to photography. In one way, it's interesting that I've ended up here. And in another way, it makes complete sense. Because I was one of those students that came out of high school loving a lot of different things and not really knowing how to specify my studies too soon. And I also came from a background where doing art at university was a bit risky. Go down the academic route, get your degree, and then you can do what you want afterwards. So I did languages for my undergraduate degree. I did European studies, Spanish, Italian. Following my undergrad, I had this year of not really knowing where to channel everything that I'd learnt during my undergraduate degree and spent many months working for free music magazines around yeah. London. Whenever I talk about these things, I always really skip over that year because I, f- I always feel like, oh, it was a bit of a waste of time, me working for these magazines, not really doing much. But actually I learnt how to as opposed to saying yes to everything, that sometimes you have to say no to yes. things. And how not to be taken for granted, even though, because you're there and you're so enthusiastic and you want to learn and you want to work and you want to meet people. But there does come a point where you have to weigh up your options a little yeah, bit yeah. And, and say no and move on. So I think that's what that year taught me. But it also taught me that I really loved magazines, which led me to my master's at City University in magazine journalism which I loved. Well, it was a love-hate, actually, but it it, it definitely ended up with love. Yeah, yeah. had two really fantastic tutors on that course, Jason Bonetto and Barbara Rowlands, who, despite me finding the course pretty hard, really helped me to keep it together. What did they do to support you? So I think as a student, I respond quite well to being challenged and pushed. They did that, but only so much so that they really supported you and sort of it it felt like you felt safe 
with the tutorials that they did and the personal attention that they gave you when when things were not going as well as perhaps you'd hoped for. We had this one module called Patch, which I really struggled with, where you'd have to go and visit a borough in London and every week you'd have to bring back a story from that borough. And it was on Tuesday mornings, the class I remember really well. And every time we'd submit a piece of work, that piece of work would then get projected onto the screen and all of your mistakes would be highlighted (laughs) in front of the entire class. Right. And even though it was humiliating and terrifying going into that lesson, it was such a good way of just getting everything out there, learning from everyone else's mistakes and making it very normal. It was so intense and I learned so much from there about journalism. We had production fortnight, which I loved at the end of the course. You had two weeks to put together an entire magazine, which was, you know, over a hundred pages long or something like that. Our class had to find the stories, interview everyone, commission everything, photograph everything, produce everything, design everything. And I was the creative director, which I think allowed me to really flex my creative side, my design side. Did that sort of give you the realisation that maybe this is where you want to go? I think so. When you're doing something you love, time is no element. Yeah. Even though it was tiring and stressful and things were going wrong because we'd never done this before and it was my first time really using things like InDesign and Photoshop and things like that, I was just loving it. I was loving it so much. Some of our, our listeners won't really necessarily know what an editor does. So I was just wondering if you could give us a bit of a, a definition about what the role is. Okay, I can give you a definition of what my role yes, is. Yes, that, yeah, that would be ideal. I, I should say that with every magazine and every news publication, the team yeah. will look completely different. But in my team, my responsibility is really the everything editorial that you will see on the BJP website and producing the print publication, which comes out every two months now. There's an element of curation to it where I decide what goes in, what's worth highlighting, who are the people that we want to be championing right now, what are the issues that we want to be reacting to at the moment. Everything has to happen through a photography lens. For example, with the print issue, the print issue is themed that already gives us a little bit of a framework to work with. So day to day, I work with writers and I work with photographers. As an editor of a magazine, you're really working with sort of the journalism side. But I think because we have a small team, I'm also working with the images. And then, of course, managing the team, setting out a bit of a vision, setting out a bit of a direction for the publication. It's a big workload, isn't it? Yes, it's a big workload, but you break it down. The magazine comes out every two months, so we have a little bit of time to prepare each issue. We work three months in advance. There's always a bit of an ongoing cycle of what's going in, what's going out. Of course, changes happen along the way. I have a really fantastic team right. who really support me and really keep things going when I'm off maybe doing something. Is there a particular way that you create that culture or things that you do to to support? Yeah, a real close-knit 
communication system. We have meetings every morning. We have pitch meetings every week. We then have fortnightly meetings with the marketing team. So there's conversations going on between departments too. And I don't know if I have a strategy per se. I think it's just a good communication and trust between us. How do you choose the stories that you want to tell in the magazine? It is a very varied process. There's no one answer to that question. We redesigned the magazine about two years ago, which is when I became the editor. The way that we designed the magazine in terms of the different types of features that are in the magazine allows us to fill in big spaces, i.e. long-form, lovely interviews with lots of lovely images and portfolios, but also smaller spaces, which might be looking at an exhibition or a, or a smaller project or a book. And that really helps in terms of organizing how the stories then fill that publication. It begins with the theme. The themes are set out one year ahead with a little bit of wiggle room because you never know what might happen in this world. We publish six issues a year, which means that we have a little bit of time to change and switch things up if we need to. We're not news, we're not reactive news, but we we do still want to be timely in some ways. I think in terms of who, British Journal Photography is 168 years old. And so with such a heritage behind it, we have a lot of readers that have been loyal to the magazine for a very long time. So there is a certain expectation, I suppose, for featuring perhaps photographers and projects that are perhaps more exclusive, perhaps more recognizable and more established and creating sort of big, big projects and working with big agencies and things like that. But for me, perhaps because of my lack of formal photography education, I don't have that preconditioned sense of hierarchy within the photography world. So I'm very happy to then place an emerging photographer as a bigger feature next to someone who's much more established because I feel like they can talk to each other and they sort of lift each other. Is there one thing that comes before the other? Is it about the theme and the story and the photographs are selected to support that? Or do you ever see a photograph that you think is so compelling you want to build a story about that? It's a mixture of the two. For example, for our tradition and identity issue, which came out in autumn of 2022, it sort of started with the theme, but then there were so many stories that we were able to tell that supported that theme, be that Wendy Redstar, who's a Native American photographer who does fantastic work delving into the archive of her ancestors and bring that into sort of a, through a contemporary lens, through collage and photography. Or Alice Tomlinson's beautiful portraits of traditional Sicilian, Sardinian and Venetian costumes. Yes, I saw those photographs. Which was amazing. Oh, fantastic, aren't they? Extraordinary. Um, but then... For example, at the beginning of the year, it was quite interesting. 2021, which was full of challenges, full of activism and emotion and passion, but in a very intense way. 
and we wanted to kick off 2022 with a love issue. Okay, yeah. Now, in February, Russia invaded Ukraine. Yes. And I'm half Polish, and there was a lot of echoes with what had happened, what is happening right now in Ukraine with my family history. And it felt so wrong to be working on a love issue when these awful things were happening so close to home. Essentially, what we did is we pivoted and we created an issue of two halves where we retained a lot of the love content, shall we call it, at the beginning of the magazine because we'd already commissioned some really fantastic projects. And then we flipped the magazine, if you can sort of imagine that, we flipped the magazine and created a special section dedicated to Ukraine, Ukrainian photographers who were working in Ukraine at the time, working closely with Katerina Radchenko, who is the director of Odessa Photo Festival, and created a series of features that were talking about Ukrainian photography. Yes, in the context of the war, but also highlighting important facets of Ukrainian identity. So was there a specific moment in the journey of that edition where you sort of thought, we need to make that change? And how did that come about? Yep, there was definitely a moment. It happened pretty quickly, I have to say, because we were already in production and we had to make the decision pretty quickly. A lot of the magazine was already commissioned and a lot of the magazine was already laid out, which meant that it would be very difficult for us to start again. We wouldn't have time to start again. And also, you know, the, the magazine is 198 pages long. So to create, Big. perhaps to create an entire issue about Ukraine in, in three weeks, yeah, not sure if we would have managed that. So that was the design decision that we had to make. And we did. I think it worked. Yeah. I think it was rushed. Yeah. Of course, you always want more time. But I think it was a good thing for us to do. Unfortunately, you know, as much as I would, I think is important, we, we can't do that with every single thing that happens. No, but of course, but it feels incredibly important that you would respond to something like that. You've got a devoted readership, some of which may have been reading the magazine for a very, very long time. And so they have a certain set of expectations when they receive their copy mm. and you're obviously taking these people on this interesting iterative journey from one place to your own vision or the your collective team's vision what have been the challenges within that for you since you've become editor how have you overcome them working on it right there are a number of challenges there's Working for a magazine which has this sort of heritage, there's this immense sense of responsibility that you feel for it. Your readership develops a sense of ownership over it yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. So you have a, a responsibility to them also. The challenges are, which you can't always fulfill is to keep everyone happy in some way whilst balancing pushing it forward. In the 168 years, I'm the first female editor right, of the yes. magazine also. Yeah. And I, I'm taking over a magazine that has also been redesigned completely. It's 
changed a lot and people don't always like change. And I think what will probably happen is that we may very well lose readers along the way as it changes into the direction that I'm taking it in, which is having it a lot more international, a lot more inclusive, a lot more diverse. I've changed a lot of the features that we had in it. I've changed the people who are writing for it. It's really changed. How are you facilitating that change? How do you, as an individual, open yourself up to these, you know, to these new discoveries? It's a huge part of what I do in terms of wh when I think about putting the magazine together is how do we make this as... Well, for me, it's as interesting as possible. Yeah. Being representative and inclusive is a huge part of who I am. I'm half Polish, half Chinese. I've lived in this country, but also a few others too. It feels natural to me to have this sort of diversity and variety within the magazine. A magazine is an opportunity to inspire and educate but also it's an opportunity to tell stories and sort of open up the world to people yeah. we have a feature in the magazine called on location which is all about zooming in onto a city around the world which is not london and sometimes us based but you know basically trying to open up the photo community away from the sort of classic hubs yeah. where you'd expect to find a lot of history of photography. So for example, at the moment, we're working on On Location Rio. Yeah. And I'm working with a photographer called Igor Furtado, who is really trying to get more visibility for Brazilian photographers because they don't have the same access. They don't have the same opportunity as someone from London or Paris might have in terms of a photography education yeah. and therefore exposure and things like that. And I met him because I saw his Instagram right, okay. that led me to commission his work for a feature in the power and empowerment issue a couple of years ago. And now it's sort of come full circle that he's working with me to open up a bit of a community of photography yeah. in Rio. Yeah, yeah. So it's not just a one time, oh, let's publish your photography and, and then we'll move on. And then we'll move on yeah. and never speak to each other again because you never know how things might develop and open up. In the story of putting together a magazine, do, do people approach you or do you go and find them or is it a mixture of, of both? It's a mixture of both. We seek things out if we feel like we have a gap. Okay, so for example, I'm working on the portrait issue right now. Portraiture being an enormous theme in photography, we probably could do about 10 issues on portrait alone. But yeah. we talk about the self-representation. We talk about, and within that self-portraiture, then we talk about the relationship between author and subject. And then, of course, we have some beautiful projects that look at the portrait have different portraits of different people from different ages. And if I feel like there's a gap with something like that, then yeah. maybe I will then put a pause on commissioning and then say to my team, okay, guys, I want us to look for a project that is really talking about this specific thing. And then we'll go out and And what spaces and, do they go out to? It's honestly such a mix. It's, it's going out and finding them, but it's also going out 
into your inbox and looking right. who's emailed you. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when it comes to students and emerging photographers sending us work, it's so important that you've got a good pitch, that you're presenting your work in the best way possible. So that, for example, when we are looking for something specific or looking for something less specific, then the pitch that they've put together for us that yeah. represents their work is clear not too long and represents the themes that their work is addressing as best as possible. If I look at that email or that PDF that they've sent over within 20 seconds, I know exactly what it's about. Yes. Your pitch slash email doesn't need to be longer than 150 words explaining a little bit about you and a little bit about your project. All you need to send are 10 to 15 images, be that in a PDF or just as JPEGs. Yeah. I don't want to see any WeTransfers. <laughs> I don't want to see links to Dropboxes that have 10 folders in them yes. with your entire portfolio. Yeah. I want a link to your website, but I don't want you to rely on that link. I want to see evidence of the fact that that person has thought about how that piece of work might fit into the British Journal of Photography. Yes. If someone's listening to this and they've always admired the publication and they're making photography work, how they might go about mm -hmm. becoming part of it. Reach out with a pitch. Email is best, I'd say. Yeah. Probably DMing on Instagram is okay. <laughs> yeah, but you it's prefer... It's okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say it's awful. It's not awful. Yeah. But spend time thinking about how you're talking about your work and how you're communicating that idea, I guess, of integrity about what, what it is you're doing and, and mm. what, you're, what you're about. Yeah. And don't forget about you. It's difficult to always be authentic with photography and the story you want to tell and things like that. But you're the thing that's authentic and yeah. your point of view and your perspective and your angle onto that story will be unique in some way. It's important not to forget about that. Being the custodian of a magazine that's been in publication for so long yeah. uh, with such a rich history, you know, it's quite a responsibility. And obviously the magazine industry has changed and it's highly competitive. So mm. you're you're maintaining this printed presence. You as an editor, how are you adapting, changing the magazine, its contents, its format to make sure that it will be around potentially for another 168 years? Yeah, it's a big question. It's something we're constantly thinking about and working on. So for example, we redesigned two years ago, more or less. We've reduced the cadence. Currently we're bi-monthly. We're thicker, we've changed our product to be more of a journal, yes. I suppose, than a magazine, yeah, yeah. if that makes sense. The difference being a magazine being something that you might more readily throw away, be done with, read within 15 minutes. Now the magazine is something that we hope that you might spend time with. I remember in journalism school we learned about this lean forward and the lean back theory. The lean right. back theory being you lean back with a lovely book or a lovely magazine and you spend time with it. You lean forward with your phone being on Instagram and so, that's looking things up really that's quickly. Quick. Yeah. Exactly. So there's, it's important to sort of consider. I've never heard that before. That's a very interesting Yeah, it's thing. physical, right? Yeah. It's a physical reading and spending time with something that is printed is a physical experience. Trying to think of that as well as 
just what content is going to be the most interesting for people to read. Yeah, I think you certainly are achieving in that that goal of producing something which feels valuable. There's mm. so much range and diversity there. It's a wonderful publication, so Thank you. Long, long may it live. So you did a series of internships at various different magazines and that's something which lots of students talk to us about. Do we think they're valuable? Where should they look for internships? What should they look for in an internship? So do you think that an internship is a, a valuable experience for a, a young person? 100%. Right. But pick the right ones. My advice with internships, which is advice that I received from my tutors at City, Barbara and Jason, they said, go for the internships and apply for work experience at the publications, but I'm sure this might apply for studios and various other places that are small. Small teams, B2B, which is business to business, so specialist magazines, tend to have smaller teams. And with a smaller team, you will have more to do because they're so busy and they really need your help. You will really be able to contribute to the team. The internships that I found that weren't so helpful were ones where the teams were enormous. Yes, they were big, respectful magazines and brands, And yes, it looked good on the CV, but I didn't have anything to do because they were covered. Whereas with the smaller teams, I felt that there was so much more personability within them. You get to know individual people much quicker because you're sat on the same table as them and or in the same room as them and you you get to earwig lots of different things that are happening around you even if you're not super busy yourself all the time when I interned at British Journal of Photography I was immediately set off to start interviewing people going to visit exhibitions coming back writing up my articles those articles getting edited and then getting uploaded onto the website and me getting in the role exactly We ask every creative, every participant of the podcast to offer up a provocation to our listeners. So that can be a challenge. It can be a thought you want them to have. It could be an action you'd like them to take, inspiring some creative response in, in our listeners. So do you have anything that you think would be useful to them? Sure. Yeah, I've got, I've got a thought and Great. I've got an action. Oh, lovely. Yeah. Double bubble. So... My action is if you are someone who loves magazines and is interested in either journalism or visual, graphic, editorial design in any way, I think the best place to start is either go to a magazine shop around. If you're in London, there's many, many, many. Or university libraries also have a really great collection of magazines. Go to and have a look through the magazines that are there. But rather than picking up the magazines that you might usually go for because of what you're interested in, be that photography or illustration or art, pick up a magazine that's about a topic that's completely the opposite. So, I don't know, geography, science, 
technology, history, whatever, and pick up maybe five or six from lots of different genres and look at them critically, look at the different ways that the journalists are writing, particularly look at the smaller articles rather than the bigger ones. And notice the way that the magazine has been designed because you'll see how much of a variety there is out there. And then my thought was, I think it's a good exercise to think back to the times where you've been uncomfortable and what you've learned from being in that uncomfortable place, be that a project that you felt was a waste of time, be that having your work highlighted in front of the class and being exposed for all your mistakes and the things you've done wrong. Mm-hmm. Think back to those experiences and try to think about something positive or something that you've learned from that supposedly uncomfortable waste of time experience and I guess add that to your portfolio of skills. Brilliant. Isabella, thank you ever so much for your time today. That's been incredibly valuable. Very kind. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much to Isabella for her time today. I really enjoyed learning about what it's like to be an editor in such a prestigious and long-standing publication. Her provocation has made me think about magazines in a totally different way and inspired me to want to go and delve deeper into the world of publication. If you want to know more about Isabella and her work, you can follow her on Instagram at isarads. And if you'd like to know more about the British Journal of Photography, you can visit their website at www.1854.photography/home. You can find links to these in our episode description. Thank you very much for listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not share it with a friend or someone else who you think might be interested? Please rate and review us and leave us some feedback because we'd love to know what you think of it. And so until the next episode, take care.